18 says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out... But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth uh, that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let's uh, look at this topic this evening, living in the last times. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand uh, the Scriptures this evening. Help us, to, Lord, to see the importance of being grounded in the faith. Help us, Lord, to understand the importance of knowing what we believe. And not only knowing what we believe, but why we believe it. Lord, help us to understand that Satan is working very carefully and craftily to deceive us and lead us astray from sound doctrine. And Lord, it is important that we, uh, Lord, uh, uh, walk with you and know the truth. And so, Lord, that we can stand strong, uh, knowing one day we'll see you face to face. And we'll give an account not only for what we knew, but what we did with that knowledge. Lord, bless us. Help us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, to summarize the book of 1 John so far, we have uh, looked at some tensions within the book. Tensions within the book. We've looked at the tension of light versus darkness. Light versus darkness. We've looked at the tension of love versus hatred. And these tensions we'll continue to look at throughout the book. And now that we've looked at those two, a third tension is thrown in here uh, in 1 John 2. And it is the tension of truth versus error. Truth versus error. It is not enough for a Christian to walk in God's light and in God's love. We also must walk in God's truth. We must also walk in God's truth. Satan has created an all-out assault on this idea of absolute truth. He has taken what we know to be true, and he has tried to muddy the water. And there are people uh, such as Oprah Winfrey who will get up at an awards ceremony and say things such as, My truth, my truth. What does she mean by saying, my truth? What she means is, your version of truth and my version of truth may not be the same, but as long as it feels right to you, then you go with that. That's your truth that you're living in. I can have my truth. And you can have your truth. And to that, I would say hogwash on that thought. Uh, there is one truth. It may not, you may not like it, but there is one truth. And it is not our, our, uh, it ought not be our objective in life to morph truth around our lifestyle. No, we ought to bend our lifestyle around what is true. 
And so uh, uh, this evening, I just want to say that there is absolute truth. Now, here in this passage, 1 John 2, uh, 18, down through the end of the chapter, we see what happens when people attempt to do the right things, but they don't do them the right way. It has been said that the road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. Just because someone means well and is sincere, you know, that doesn't make them right. Um, If a person goes to the wrong church that preaches the wrong gospel doctrine uh, and they do not uh, they do not put their faith in Jesus, they will not go to heaven. And it does not matter how sincere they are. You say, well, pastor, that sounds cold. But let just let me just say this. That's how life works. Uh, Let me give you a couple of examples here. As a boy. I uh, studied for a science test. I believe I was in the fourth or fifth grade. I studied very hard for a science test. I made a study sheet and I reviewed it and I went over it and, and, and I sat down and I took the test and I put it on my teacher's desk and I was confident when I turned it in that I was going to make at the least an A minus. To my bewilderment, the following week when I got my test back, there was an F scribbled on the test. It had one of those long matching sections, and I had gotten some of the terms mixed up, and uh, those things snowball on you real quick. And, boy, I sat in my, in my desk, and, and I, I don't know if I cried or not, but I know I wanted to. You know, I was sincere in taking that test. I was sincere in filling it out. I was sincere uh, in my effort to study and prepare. But at the end of the day, I got the answers wrong and I earned and deserved an F and I got no bonus points for my sincerity. Let me give you another example. A doctor prescribes the wrong medicine. And he does so in a sincere manner. Do you know that no matter how sincere that doctor is, the consequences are the consequences? How about a doctor who sincerely amputates the wrong arm? Or a doctor who sincerely removes the wrong eyeball? It doesn't matter how sincere that doctor was. A mistake is a mistake. And we have no problem understanding this concept when it comes to uh, life. But for some reason, folks want to believe that as long as I'm sincere in my pursuit of, of, of God, as long as I'm sincere, God is somehow going to let me into heaven. And my friend, that is just not how it works. You can be sincere all the way to the grave, and you can be sincerely wrong. And if you don't come in God's way, then my friend, God will not let you in. Look back at verse number 18 with me. Little children, it is the last time. The last time. Note note those words. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, that term, last time, uh, or last hour, does not refer to, uh, not, does not refer as much to a duration of time as it does a kind of time. A kind of time. Uh, someone has asked, well, pastor, if John was in the last hour in his day, and he lived 2,000 years ago, then, what, what does that even mean? The last time. And, and I would just say to you, remember that God is not bound by our time. 
Remember what uh, we're told in Peter that uh, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And so in God's book, the last time, we're only in day three since this was written. You with me? 2,000 years removed, a day for each 1,000 years. We're still in the last time. By the way, uh, earlier in the book of 1 John, we saw that the darkness has passed and the light has come. And so if you look at this in the grand scheme of all of the eras or dispensations of the Bible, you see that this is the last era prior to God coming back in the person of Jesus and ruling this world from Jerusalem. This is the last time, and we are in the church era. What has Satan sought to do in this last time? He has sought to inject chaos in God's system of order. He has sought to inject lies through those who are anti-Christ, and he has sought to make it as confusing as possible. So spiritually speaking, what kind of time are we living in? We are living in a time where the church is using the truth of God's word. We're using the truth, we're using God's love, and we're using God's light to combat the forces of Satan of lies, darkness, and hatred. Lies, darkness, and hatred. Satan is launched an all-out assault on humanity using lies, darkness, and hatred to take as many people to hell with them as possible. And God has equipped the church with the love of God, the light of God, and the truth of God to combat the forces of Satan. By the way, when does the Antichrist step up and lead this world into utter darkness? He does so after the church has been raptured out. And there is no, there is no contrary force to darkness. The church has been removed. And now uh, uh, that Holy Spirit is gone uh, in the believers. And he then can lead this world into the tribulation through the person of Antichrist. So we're going to dissect this passage, 1 John 2, 18 through 29. We're going to dissect it two different ways. This week we're going to look at those described as little a Antichrists. Next Sunday evening we will look at how Christians should respond to these Antichrists. So let's look at two main thoughts about this topic of living in the last times. Point number one of the message this evening is this, the spirit of an antichrist. The spirit of an antichrist. Look down at 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 18 with me after you fill that in. The Bible says, little children, it is the last time. and, And as ye have heard that antichrist shall come, even now are there many antichrists. Whereby we know that it is the last time. Now this is an interesting note for you Bible students. John is the only author or writer of the Bible that uses the term Antichrist. He talks about them here. Uh, He talks about them in uh, Revelation. Now, uh, there are other references to the Antichrist, but not by that title. We know uh, he's mentioned in Daniel. Uh, Jesus Christ himself talks about him in the gospel. But the term Antichrist, uh, only John penned that word Antichrist. And we know that the Antichrist is going to be a man who comes on the world stage. He is a political leader. He is suave. He is debonair. He is clever. He's going to bring peace to to, uh, uh, to the Middle East. We know that he's going to see the temple rebuilt uh, and uh, the, the practices, the Orthodox Jewish practices begin there again. Uh, there he's going to lead the world in a three and a half
half years of peace. And uh, many Christians are fascinated by eschatology or the doctrine of end times. Who is the Antichrist going to be? I, I, since I've been a little boy, I think every U.S. president has been called the Antichrist. Have you noticed this? I remember when President Obama was voted into office and, oh, he's so smooth and slick. That's the Antichrist. And then now people who are anti-Donald Trump accuse him of being the Antichrist. And I just have to say this. Look at the man's Twitter feed. He's not the Antichrist. Donald Trump is not the Antichrist. You say, well, well, who is it? Can I just say this? I really don't care who it is. I really don't. And I know many Christians are enamored with Revelation and the book of Daniel, and they want to study it. And listen, we're promised a blessing for reading the book. And so I'm not, uh, I'm not throwing dirt on anyone who wants to read it or study it. By all means, have at it. My level of interest in it is I only want to read it enough to inspire me to live right today. If you get so sucked into eschatology that you bury your head in the books and you never get out and do as Ben said, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, then my friend, you're out of balance. God did not call you just to fill your head with Bible knowledge. He called you to get in the trenches and serve. And here he is saying, look, don't be enamored with who the Antichrist is. Rather, pay attention to the Antichrists that are already in the world today. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3, and we see that Antichrist is not a person as much as it is a spirit that exists all around us today. Look at 1 John 4, 3. And every spirit, spirit, that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of antichrist whereby ye have heard that it should come even now and even now already is it in the world the spirit of antichrist is already in the world today so how much more uh, is it in the world today than it was when john wrote this some two thousand years ago You know, Paul talked about that in the last days, uh, there would be uh, those who are disobedient to parents and lovers lovers of their own selves and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, incontinent, fierce, uh, uh, despisers of mankind, and all these. Can I tell you that those people existed in Paul's day? They exist even more so today. It's more intense. This spirit of Antichrist, it, it can be seen all around us if we'll just open up our eyes and see it. Now, that term, anti... Anti in the Greek has a double meaning. There is duality to the word. That word anti means these two things, and we'll alliterate them here in a moment, but they mean, it means against, and it also means instead of. Antichrist. Against Christ, instead of Christ. Let's look at it this way. Letter A, notice, a contrary spirit. Against Christ. A contrary spirit. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 is a verse we're all familiar with. Uh, it says, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, or little rock. And upon this rock, pointing to himself, Jesus said, I will build my church, my church, my church. Notice the rest of the verse. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's a lot in this verse to unpack. But l- let me just pull one observation out for the sake of the message this evening. There is a war... That is going on between the church and the gates of hell. There is an all-out assault from the gates of hell on the church. And there ought to be an all-out assault from the church 
on the gates of hell. We ought to be snatching up every last soul we can and, 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 and pulling them away from uh, the flames and helping them find that path to heaven. The, the spirit of Antichrist is a contrary spirit that wants to take as many people to hell as possible. Now, hear me out on this. We live here in our little bubble with our religious freedom, and so we don't see firsthand very much the contrary spirit Satan is showing the church. Now, according to an article written on the website Christianity Christianity Today, this article was written on January 15th of this year. So just a couple of weeks ago. Listen to these startling statistics. On average, on average, every day, eight Christians around the globe are killed for their faith. Eight. Eight folks are martyred every day for being a Christian. That's 240 a month. That's 2,920 people are killed for being a Christian every year. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Every week, on average, 182 church people, churches, as in the, the body that makes up the church, or, or Christian buildings are attacked. 182 churches every week are in some way attacked. Every month, 309 Christians are imprisoned unjustly. And these are just the statistics we can get our hands on. The website Christianity Today lists the top 50 countries where it's hardest to be a Christian. Here are the top 10 countries. Ready? Number one, North Korea. Number two, Afghanistan. Number three, Somalia. Four, Libya. Five, Pakistan. Uh, uh, Rose, I hope I get this right. Six, Eritrea. Did I get that right? Eritrea. Number seven, Sudan. Number eight, Yemen. Number nine, Iran. And number 10, India. Christianity Today reports that in these top 50 countries, there are 260 million Christians who suffer high to severe levels of persecution regularly. 260 million Christians that suffer for identifying themselves with Christ. Now, are all of these folks born-again believers? I don't know how they're defining Christian, but I will just say this. These are people who are taking a stand for the name of Christ, and they're suffering for it. 260 million. This is a spirit of Antichrist. Now, listen to this. This number is up 15 million over 2018. 15 million more people fall under this level of heavy persecution. Why? Satan, there is a spirit of Antichrist, a contrary spirit. Now, uh, I just want to add this. Make sure you pray for the Christians on the other side of the globe. Make sure you take the time to consider that Christians are enslaved on a regular basis. Did you all know that there's more slavery in the world today than all of the Western cultured slavery combined? Slavery is a big problem, and Christians are being enslaved on the other side of the globe, hand over fist. They need our prayer. They need to know over here, while we sit in our comfortable chairs, drive our comfortable cars, and live in our comfortable homes... That we care about them and we're lifting them up in prayer that they'll be strong. We see that this spirit of Antichrist is a contrary spirit, but it's also a counterfeit spirit. Let her be a counterfeit spirit. 
That word anti means against, but it also means instead of. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 24. John told us that there would be a spirit of antichrist. Many antichrists that would be in the world. Matthew chapter 13 and look at verse number 24. A parable we're all familiar with, but please indulge me and read along. Uh, with, with me here. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in the field. But while men slept, his enemy came, and sowed tares among the wheat, and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up, and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. In the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Uh, So what happened here is uh, uh, the farmer went out and sowed good seed, sowed good wheat seed. And at nighttime, when uh, the farmer slept and his hired hands slept, uh, the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. And they began to notice the tares. And the servant said, should we take up the tares? And he said, you're not going to be able to do that. Why? Because the only difference between a tare and a wheat is that one produces fruit and the other, other one does not. You cannot tell until you get close to harvest what is what, and you'll end up tearing up the wheat if you attempt to take out the tares. Please don't miss what I'm saying here. Uh, Satan works really hard to go behind uh, uh, Christ and the planning of his church and plant counterfeit churches amongst us. There are religions and denominations and even those that would call themselves Baptists who are not preaching the same gospel that's found in the pages of Scripture. Boy, they look the part, they talk the part, they act the part, they have even some of the same terminology down, but at the end of the day, they're counterfeits. Do you know not only are there counterfeit churches, there are counterfeit Christians that sit in good churches. They come, they dress the part, they carry the right Bible, they learn the terms. Do you know that one day there are going to be Baptist pastors in hell? There are going to be Baptist deacons in hell? Baptist life group leaders or Sunday school teachers in hell? There are going to be Baptist choir members in hell? Baptist church members in hell. Baptist children who grew up through an independent Baptist church and heard the gospel preached who end up in hell. Why? Because they looked the part, they talked the part, they acted the part. They were nothing more than a counterfeit. They never really did believe. Now, listen, we just addressed this on uh, Wednesday uh, evenings, going through the book of Hebrews and and, and talking about uh, an apostate and what that was and what that looked like. And and, and I don't mean to be repetitive for the sake of being repetitive, especially for those of you that come on Wednesday evenings, but where the Scripture speaks, we speak. Where the Scripture is silent, we're silent. And and, and here, this is being addressed, Antichrist, Antichrist, the spirit of an Antichrist. Notice number two, the signs. 
of an Antichrist. The signs of an Antichrist. 1 John chapter 2 lays out for us what to look for when it comes to an Antichrist. Letter A, notice their departure. Their departure. Turn with me, if you would, over to verse number 19. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 19. Please look at this with me in your, in your Bible. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they, know, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Well, who is the us? Remember, the book of John is a familial book. What is he saying here? The body of Christ, the church family. That's us, those that are brethren, sistren, we're saved, we're part of the family of God. Some are going to look the part, talk the part, act the part, Uh, you'll believe they're the part, and all of a sudden they're going to disappear and you're not going to see them anymore. They're going to depart. How many of you remember uh, when you were a young Christian and you saw a family that was just key? They were plugged in. They were a part. They were involved. And then all of a sudden, you looked up one week and they were gone. And it wasn't they moved across the state or across the country. It wasn't that uh, they found another gospel preaching church to attend. They just dropped out of church altogether. How many of you have seen this before? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what? That, that's discouraging, isn't it? You think... Well, is there something wrong with me? Did I push them away? Or is there something wrong with our church polity? Uh, is there something wrong with the pastor? Did the church leadership do something to them? Why is it that they dropped out? And you know, I remember I was a young man in the ministry. I was serving as a, a Spanish pastor. I'd only been in, in uh, a full-time ministry for just a handful of years. And I had a family just drop out of church and quit coming. They didn't go anywhere else. They just quit coming. And I went by their house and I talked to them. And, and, and the, uh, the man there uh, who who I talked with, he made me out to be the worst person in the world. He made all of his spiritual problems my fault. Uh, and, and he made it sound like I was the reason why he wasn't going to be in church anymore. And I, and I remember feeling so bad and terrible. And, and a lot of what he said didn't have any truth to it. Some of what he said, there was a little bit of truth to it. And I needed to work on some things. And I remember I was beating myself up over this and beating myself up over this. And Pastor King, he, he looked at me and he said, listen, he said, when people... People leave a church and they don't go anywhere else. They're never going to make them the bad guy. They're always going to make you the bad guy. When people leave, they're going to make it as though they are the good guy. That they were the one taken advantage of. They were the one that's hurt. And I, I look, I know sometimes people leave a church because they were taken advantage of and hurt. I've seen it happen before. But oftentimes when people leave for the wrong reasons, they will, may, will make themselves out to be holy and the church to be the devil. Well, I'll just add this here. God never calls you to leave a church unless he's calling you to go to another one. He's not going to call you to quit going to White Oak Baptist Church and lead you to sit at home and not go anywhere. He has somewhere for you to be and somewhere for you to go. And if things get tough for you here, you become upset with something here. Don't just jump ship. Uh, I was talking to Brother Owens about this a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, uh, over someone who was disgruntled and, and wanting to leave. And, and he had told me, he said, uh, uh, that he has seen so many people hop ship over something or jump ship over something that they were bothered over. And now their lives are just as secular as if they were lost. 
He sat in this person's living room and begged them not to go anywhere. There are two groups of people that depart from a church that preaches the gospel message. There are those who are lost and apostate. They they cannot continue to live a phony lie. They're a counterfeit and they fall by the wayside. But then there are those who fall out of church because they are backslidden. They're backslidden. Now, let me just say this here. It is not my place and it is not your place to decide whether or not someone is saved or lost just because they quit going to church. It's our job to pray for them. It's our job to lift them up in prayer. It's our job to make sure that when people quit coming to our church that we pour love all over them and we make it very hard for them to leave. We're not guilting them because they left. We're making sure they know they are very loved here. Boy, you, you look around and you see that someone hasn't been in church in two, three, four weeks. Reach out to them. Text them. Call them. Stop by and visit them. Uh, if you're a woman and it's a woman, take them out to lunch. If it's a man, uh, and if they're a man and you're a man, take them out to lunch. Uh, it, it, give them a, 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 a stop by and, and, and show them the love of Christ. Maybe it's a couple or a family. As a family, take them out and love on them. Don't just let people slip out of church and not be here. You say, well, I always thought there was something wrong with them. Hey, quit. Put down your judgmental stones. He without sin, cast the first stone and go show them the love of Christ. Some people, though, leave because they were not one of us. Matthew 19.22, uh, we find the, uh, the parable of the young man who had uh, wanted to follow Jesus and claimed to have kept the Ten Commandments. And Jesus told him to give away his possessions and follow him. Matthew 19.22 says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What was this man's problem? He could not part with his wealth in order to be saved. John chapter 6, verse 66, speaking of Antichrist, 666. Here we have the story where Jesus won't uh, feed them more. Uh, he feeds the 5,000 and then he goes up in the mountain to pray. And then he uh, appears on the other side with his disciples. And they come around and they find him and they're questioning him. And they want him to become their political revolutionary so he can feed them for the rest of their lives. They're basically wanting him to be, uh, they're wanting to be welfare cases under his uh, political kingdom. And Jesus just uh, flat out says, we're not doing this. And at this point, please understand. Jesus is at the peak of popularity in his ministry. Chapter 6, verse 66, the Bible says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Why? They departed. They weren't getting from Christ what they wanted to get out of Christ. Don't be guilty of this. Don't come to church to get what you can get out of it. Don't walk with God so you can get something out of it. The biggest mistakes that that American Christians make, please listen to me, the biggest mistake that American Christians uh, make is that we expect God to revolve around us and we forget we are created to revolve around God. You weren't put on this planet so God could pleasure you and answer your every whim. You were put here to pleasure God. And by the way, if you pray and don't get something from God, please understand that sometimes that's good. If God gave you everything you prayed for, then you would be God. Because he would be bowing down to what you wanted. You'd be able to pray and he'd be a genie in a bottle giving you what you want. Sometimes when we pray and God doesn't give us what we want, that's God being God. And we have to understand that uh, we don't depart just because 
we're not getting what we wanted out of Christianity. No, our goal in Christianity is to revolve around our Savior. Their departure, speaking of Antichrist, the spirit or sign of an Antichrist, notice letter B, their denial. Their denial. Go back to 1 John chapter 2 with me. And look at verse number 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. You're there in First uh, John. Turn over just a couple of pages to the left to the book of Second Peter chapter number 2. And look with me at verse number 1. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Peter would address uh, a very similar idea here. Look here. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying uh, the, the Lord hath brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Damnable heresies, false teachers that are among you, that are found around you. There are many false religions, or there are rather some famous religions out there uh, that are very dangerous. And here's why. They get rid of the deity of Christ. You want to know if a church is a cult? A church is a cult if they go messing with the doctrine of Christ. Let me give you some examples. Mormons. Here's what the Mormons believe as it comes to Jesus. They believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. They were both created by God. And their time on earth was a proving ground to see if they would qualify as deity. Satan failed and Christ succeeded. Folks, that's heresy. Here's what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe about Jesus. They believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah... As the archangel Michael, before the physical world existed, they believe that Jesus uh, uh, is a lesser, though mighty, uh, though a mighty God, but a little g-god. They believe that when Jesus was born on earth, he was a mere human and not God in human flesh. They believe that Jesus resurrected spiritually, but did not resurrect physically. You see here, these religions are fooling with who Jesus Christ is. How about the Muslims? The Muslims believe that Jesus was a good prophet, but was not God on earth. There's a problem with that, my friend, because Jesus claimed to be God. So either he was Lord, or he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. But he couldn't have been just a good prophet. But maybe the most dangerous of false religions is the Catholic Church. Why? Because Catholics claim to believe Jesus is the Son of God. But they do not believe that faith in Him alone is enough to save you from hell. Furthermore, they believe that Peter is the rock the church was built on, and that Peter was the first pope, and that the pope is the head of the church and not Christ is the head of the church. Boy, you see here how this is a problem? We're putting man in the place of God, and we're bowing down to a man and treating them as though he is God? They claim that Jesus is. Listen, the hard part about Catholicism is if you listen to them talk about Jesus, boy, they talk about him almost the same that we do. But when it comes to salvation, Jesus isn't enough to save you, they believe. 
You see here their denial. They deny who Jesus is. And the Bible says, uh, back in 1 John 2, 29, Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Let her see, notice, their deception. Their deception. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you seduce you that word seduce means to uh, to deceive with with great energy to deceive romans 16:18 words it this way for they that are such serve not our lord jesus christ but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple Ephesians 4:14 4, uh, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay, lie in wait to deceive 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 13 but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived have you noticed that these cult religions, they, they're usually centered around a man and not God? Jehovah's Witness, boy, their big man is Charles Taz Russell. Um, uh, uh, let's see, Islam, their, their big leader is a man. What's his name? Muhammad. How about Mormonism? Who's their big leader? Joseph Smith. You see here how that they take a man and they elevate him? Boy, if you ever are part of a church where they elevate a man above where the Bible elevates that man, you need to get away. You need to go. Not only do they elevate the man, they elevate, elevate that man's writings. Joseph Smith found a special pair of glasses and found some tablets and, and had to read them behind a curtain. And uh, Mr. Brigham Young had to write down the Book of Mormon. And then uh, uh, it, uh, Muhammad found, uh, 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 was, was given a message by a prophet. And, and from that we get the Quran. And uh, Joseph Smith, or rather Charles Taz Russell, rewrote the Bible outright in order to do away with hell and do away with the deity of Christ. What are we doing here? We're elevating, we're elevating a man and his writings. We're slipping in error with truth and we're deceiving people. Uh, furthermore, most apostates that leave a Christian church like this that preaches the gospel, it isn't apostates, apostates. It isn't that they leave here and stay home. No, they leave here and they find their way into a church that teaches a wrong doctrine. Because why? They're going with what was in their heart. They were never saved, and they leave. I love it when a Mormon converts and becomes a Christian and starts going to a Christian church. I love it when that happens with a Jehovah's Witness, a Jehovah's False Witness. I love it when that happens with a Catholic. But when a Baptist or someone who goes to a Bible-preaching church leaves and goes to one of these, mark my words, they were probably never saved to begin with. They left and they went there because they went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. Their deception. It isn't enough. It isn't enough. Please hear me. It isn't enough for them to leave and leave us alone. No, they're deceived and they go about deceiving as well. Please listen up to me here. I want to say two things and I'm almost done. I want to say two things on this point. We'll wrap up the sermon with, with the last subpoint. First of all, be very careful engaging into a conversation with someone who comes from one of these cult religions. Be very careful. 
Listen, I used to be young uh, and I was cocky and I was uh, uh, overconfident. And I got into a conversation with the Jehovah's Witness one time and he left me with my tail between my legs feeling like I did not know my Bible very well. He left me doubting what I believed, doubting my own faith. And I had to sit down with someone who knew the Bible well and have them reassure me of uh, of some things because I was confounded and confused. How many of you here have ever gotten into a conversation with someone from another religion at some point in your Christian life and they left you just a little rattled? Does that ever happen to you? Be careful. Be careful. The first thing I would say is don't you have a Jehovah's Witness knock on your door. Don't invite them in for tea. You don't need to do that. You say, Pastor, what, are you afraid of what we'll find out? No, I'm afraid of a seducer leading you astray. You be careful. By the way, you be careful getting on YouTube and watching just anybody who calls themselves a preacher. There's a lot of, there's a lot of apostasy and false doctrine on YouTube. There are people out there who call themselves Baptists who are preaching heresy on YouTube. Boy, you be careful. You be careful about that. You make sure that you're, uh, uh, you're vetting and you're listening to that preaching that is strictly and purely the Word of God. The second thing I want to say here is that White Oak Baptist Church implemented a discipleship course this year for this very purpose. Boy, for far too long, Christians have sat on a pew and, and, and listened to preaching. But, you know, the truth is, you're only retaining 30, 40, 50% of what I'm preaching. I'm studying it, and I'm getting all of it, and I'm giving it to you. And depending on how alert you are and how much you're paying attention and how, how copious your notes are, uh, you're not always getting all of it. And you go to a discipleship course, and you sit down one-on-one with another Christian, and you learn your doctrines. Boy, you're grounded. And you can't, you're, it's a lot less likely that you'll be deceived. I'll say this about our discipleship course. The curriculum we've chosen is dripping in Bible. Every point is made from the Word of God. Don't only know what you believe, but know why it is you believe that. Letter D, and lastly, notice their destruction. Their destruction. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear... We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, I, I, we'll look at this verse from the Christian standpoint next Sunday evening, how we can appear before the Lord and not be ashamed. Can I tell you those who, who uh, went out from us because they were not of us, those that are apostate, those that never get saved, uh, those that are, are deceived and, and deceiving, uh, the Bible is very clear that we, they will be destroyed. Matthew chapter 7, let's finish the sermon there this evening. Matthew chapter 7, turn over there in verse number 21. The Bible says there, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Let me pause there. If you go to John 6, we learn what the will of the Father is. It's to believe on Jesus. It's very clearly laid out in John 6 that to eat his flesh and drink his blood is to believe and receive. That is the work or the will of the Father in heaven. So here it says, only those that do the will of the Father in heaven will be received into heaven. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name have done many wonderful works? 
Look at the response. By the way, in verse 22, uh, to, to come full circle from the introduction, can you see the sincerity? They really did prophesy. They were sincere. They, they, they really did cast out devils or, or, or thought they did. They really did many wonderful religious works. But boy, they had never been saved. Look at verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These folks will be cast into hell. These antichrists will be cast into hell. The application for the sermon tonight is very, very simple. Almost too simple. But I'm afraid many Christians are not doing this very simple task. And that is this. Don't just attend church. Know what you believe. Know why you believe what you believe. Get in the scriptures and study it. Come to church leaders here that know the Bible and ask questions. Ladies, go to your husbands and ask them to help you better understand. Uh, and, and, and don't just rely on any, uh, uh, any, any Joe on the internet to answer your questions. I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes I have a Bible question and I, I will Google my question and see what the answers out there are. There's a whole lot of garbage on the internet. You better be careful. You better be careful. And so you make sure you know what this book teaches so that you cannot be led astray. You cannot be confused or pulled apart. Satan has his, Satan has his target on you. And he will use antichrists to try to distract you and keep you from becoming into who God wants you to be. Lord, we pray tonight you'd help us to take uh, this, these truths about the antichrists, uh, the spirit of antichrist, the signs of antichrist. Lord, help us to be people of the book. Help us to read our Bible each day and pray, to walk with you and talk with you, and uh, Lord, to grow in our knowledge of you, but not only in our knowledge of you, our service for you. Help us, Lord, to be people who work for you and, Lord, worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.